0: Good morning, Bridge Church. It's good to be with you this morning. I like to read a lot of biography in history. Um, and history. There are certain people who I would really like to meet from history. So just think about this question for a minute. If you were able to go in a time machine and meet any person from history, who would you want to meet? So think about that a minute. And if you could meet anyone from the Bible, who would you want to meet? Who would you want to meet if you could go back and talk with and spend time with someone in the Bible and ask them um, what was the secret to their faith? You could, just, you could just watch them in everyday life and interact with them. Um, I love David. If I could meet any person in the Old Testament, I would meet David because he was a man's man. He killed a bear and a lion before his 20th birthday, defending his sheep. And then he killed a giant, too. Uh, most people think when he was about 17, and yet he was a worshiper. He was just unashamed to worship and dance before God. And if I could meet anyone from the New Testament, it would be Paul. But who I would really love to go watch is Jesus. I just think how amazing that would be if I could watch Jesus do his miracles. I'm like, I think I would just be much more bold with evangelism and just have much more joy in my life if I could go and walk and talk with Jesus for a few days I don't think it's by accident when he told his disciples that he was going to die on the cross. They said, no, Jesus, no, no, don't go. We don't want you to leave Um, because they grew to love him. John even laid his head on his chest um, at the Lord's Supper. He felt so intimate with Jesus. Um, Today we're going to look at a story in the Bible from Matthew 22. And this guy, he was a Bible scholar. He was a lawyer, a scribe, which means he was an expert in the Old Testament law. Um, And he came up... And tested Jesus, and he asked Jesus one question, but Mark's account, which we won't look at, it, said, it seems like he was actually wanted to know this question um, as well, but he was testing Jesus as well. So what, what one question do you think this Bible scholar asked Jesus? He came up to Jesus and asked Jesus one question, and what's cool is Jesus, um, Jesus answered him and gave him two answers. So he said, he said to Jesus, this Bible scholar, he said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? What's the greatest commandment in the law? And so Jesus told him what the greatest thing... Um, you could basically say the Old Testament, because the law is a lot of the heart of the teachings, um, ethical teachings. So he said, what's the greatest command in the Old Testament? And Jesus told him the first, and then Jesus also told him the second. And so we want... Jesus is God, that's something we want to remember... Um, when we read the Gospels, um, Jesus is God, so we want God's priorities to be our priorities. So let's look at Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Turn to Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, is where we'll start. And let's see what Jesus' priorities were. Let's see what God's priorities were. And when Jesus is speaking, it's God in the flesh speaking to us. So it's like we're getting, it's like we have a direct line to heaven. So, Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they were a um, more liberal religious group, the Pharisees got together. <clears throat> One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And I want to spend most of the time today on Jesus saying that we need to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that the greatest commandment is to love God with the entirety of our being. Heart, soul, mind. He's just saying it's the entirety of our being. But um, that's hard for me because, like, when I wake up in the morning, like, I feel my feelings. I feel if I'm tired. Like, it's hard to love God. How do, how do we love a God we can't see? Sometimes that can be frustrating for me. I'm like, my bills are real, God. I can see them. I can see my family members. Um, I can see the struggles of life, like the trials. Um, but I can't see you. I can see all these things, the struggles, the responsibilities of life. But I can't see you. And yet, Jesus, you tell, me, you tell me in the Gospels that I'm supposed to take up my cross and follow you and like, give up the things that I can see, the tangible things, um, and the comforts and pleasures of life which I can feel. Um, and just what our society says, you tell me that I'm supposed to give up all these things that I can see for what I can't see. Like that seems, that seems crazy. Like How am I supposed to love you with all of my heart when I can't see you, but I can see everything else? And so what I want to do, a lot of times when I preach or teach, um, I'll just take a passage verse by verse and explain it. But I think this passage is pretty straightforward. I think Jesus is saying, love God with the entirety of your being and, um, and love your neighbor as yourself, which your neighbor is just someone in your everyday um, interactions and sphere of influence. Because I can say, oh, I love someone in Timbuktu, but that doesn't really mean much. I never get a chance to prove it. So Jesus is saying, love God with the entirety of your being and love your neighbor um, as yourself. So what I want to do this morning is look at some practical ways that we can grow in our love for God, um, ways we can participate with God, but also look at some things that God has done for us already because First John 4 says um, we love God because he first loved us. So I want to look at some things we can do. Um, and I've learned a lot of these things through the struggles and um, trials of life and just through experience um, and often through failing. So I want to look at things we can do, some things God has done, um, and just some things that like, happen to us that push us closer to God. Because if this is what Jesus is saying is most important, like we need to know how to do it in our everyday life. It's not just something to be um, tucked away in our brain as biblical knowledge. We actually, we actually need to know um, how to implement this. And so I think what I've found is the best way to help me um, grow in my love for God is to look at Jesus. I wish I would have known this when I was younger in my faith. I'm like, oh yeah, Jesus has good religious teachings to help us be a Christian, but I didn't really get it like I have started to the last year or so. Um, now that I'm realizing I can just look at Jesus to see God, um, it just it's changed everything. I've realized that Jesus is like tangible God. Jesus came. He's like, "Here I'm God, I'm on Earth, so like we can touch, we can touch God. Um, we can see God just by looking at Jesus and his disciples um, did actually get to um, touch him. So I want to read you guys a few passages um, to make this come alive and then give you guys a few visual aids. Because I really think this can, um, it can change our lives and change our Christian walk if we realize that all we have to do is open our Bible and read the Gospels and read some of the other passages about Jesus and we get a living picture of God Um, Jesus is God with flesh on. Jesus is God translated into language that we can understand. So this is um, the disciple John um, writing in 1 John. I'm going to read you the first few verses of 1 John. And some of the background of 1 John is he was writing to combat a heresy that some Christians were in danger of believing, that Jesus didn't really have a physical body, that he just um, appeared, but he was more of... um, a spirit, he didn't really have a physical body. So this is what John, Jesus' disciple, is writing um, to these Christians. That which was from the beginning, which is Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So he's saying, we've have, we have touched it with our hands. Um, they got to see Jesus after he died appear for 40 days. John was at the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus' dad died. So he's like, John, like this is your mother. Um, take care of her. And then afterwards, Jesus and other disciples got to touch Jesus' body. He's like, look it. After he roasts the grave. he's like, come, like touch my body. Um, And if you look at the New Testament and you pay close attention, um, the different writers in the New Testament, they use this language. In Colossians 1.15, um, Paul says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So here's just a little cosmetic mirror, but let's pretend I'm God and this mirror is Jesus. Like, Jesus is the perfect reflection of God the Father. Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And it says um, in the beginning of John, no one has ever seen God. John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God. But then he says, the one who is in the Father's bosom, Jesus, he has made him known. He has exegeted him. He has shown us to him. And then the writer of Hebrews, he picks up on the same idea, but he uses different imagery. He says in Hebrews 1.13, he says, "Um, the Son is the exact imprint of the Father. Um, So this is my daughter's Hello Kitty stamp. (laughs) Here. and so you guys can't see it because it's small but there's like a hello kitty um, like imprint here and so whatever I imprint with this there's the there's the kitty imprint on it but that's what the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is he's saying Jesus is the exact imprint of the father some translations say that Jesus um, is the exact essence of the father so um, the way this plays out in our everyday lives is if we read if we read the Gospels, if we just slow down and we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we can say, I can encounter you, God. Like, I can see What would God say? What would God say if he was to speak? What would God do? What kind of actions would God do? But we can, we can see tangible God. We can just look at Jesus. Um, we can look at God in the face of Jesus, is what Paul says in Second Corinthians 4. So I just want to read you guys... One more passage and then give you guys a practical um, way of doing this in your everyday life. So look at John chapter 14. Look at John chapter 14. And this is John 13 through 17. John chapters 13 through 17 is all Jesus' um, instruction to his disciples before he died on the cross. So this is at the very end of his life. And you'll see that his disciples here, they still did not get this. They'd been with Jesus for three years, and they still did not fully get that Jesus is God. Like, Jesus is exactly God. They probably believed he was God, but I don't think they got the full extent. So, John chapter 14, verse 5, and I'll read through verse 11. Thomas, who was one of Jesus' disciples, said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Because Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now listen to verse 7. If, if, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, the Greek literally says, from this point on, from this point on in history. From now on, you do know him and have seen Him. From now on, from this point in history, you do know Him and have seen Him. So he's saying, you do know God. Look at me. You have seen God. Look at me. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. So he realized, like, if I can just see God, that's enough for me. I'll be satisfied. And this is what Jesus said to him in verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. So he's saying the words, his teachings, his teachings, a lot of which we have in the four Gospels. Um, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. So he's saying, believe me. Like, the words I speak are from the Father. But if you don't believe that, like, look at the works that I'm doing. Look at the miracles I'm doing. No one's, no one's ever done um, these types of things before. Um, so the first way that we can um, grow to love God more is we can look at Jesus. But how do we do that in our everyday lives? Um, and something that's really helped me is just take a little piece of the Gospels each day. Um, take Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Um, and just read one, I like to read like one story or one teaching note cards and just write out a few verses and then put it in my pocket and then take it out and chew on it during the day. Um, but look at one part in the Gospel each day and put yourself put yourself in their shoes. I used to judge Peter. I was like, man, he got out and walked on water and then he, um, and then like, he looked around at the waves and the storms and he, he sunk. I'm like, man, he didn't have very much faith. But I'm like, I do the same thing. Like, I'm in the waves and wind storms of life and then I take my eyes off Jesus and look around um, and I start sinking too. And like the woman at the well, you can just go one story after another, like put yourself put yourself in their shoes and just slow down and take one, one phrase or one sentence or one verse and just chew on it over and over and say this is like Jesus revealing the Father me and if I could go back 2,000 years I could actually see Jesus and Jesus says we will actually get to see him um, when we die um, but for now we have the spirit of Christ, um, three places in the New Testament call the Holy Spirit the spirit of Christ but the way that Christ dwells in our hearts in chapter 1, Colossians 1 um, John 1, all these teach us a lot about Jesus um, and just just meditating on him and saying God please, please make Jesus real to me, I don't want Jesus just to be a doctrine or principle I believe in. I want the living Christ to become alive in my life so I can fall more in love with him. And that's where joy comes from. Um, I read a story recently about a Chinese Christian who'd been locked up in prison for over 26 years for his faith. And this American evangelist went over there and he asked him, like, what was it like? And this is what he said. He said, it was like a honeymoon with Jesus. It was like a honeymoon with Jesus. And I think in his suffering, I think the Holy Spirit made Jesus just come alive to him. Come alive to him. Um, And the next thing I've learned, which you guys know this one, the next thing that helps us fall more in love with Jesus is to look at the cross. Look at the cross. Sometimes the cross can just become like um, routine for us, but I think we just got to find different ways to look at the cross. I like to look at different um, stories um, that, That parallel, that cross-parallel, what Jesus did for us. Um, One I heard from my evangelism professor when I was in college that I really liked. It's a true story, a war story. Um, It's about the head of the Turkish guerrilla fighters, um, and his name was Shamal. So the background is Turkey and Russia. The countries of Turkey and Russia, they share the same border, and so they consistently have these border feuds. So a while back, Shamal he called his leaders, the main leaders of his military. And he said, guys, guys, like the Russians are basically kicking our tail. Um, they seem to know what we're going to do before we even do it. I think we have someone leaking our intelligence. So he said, we've we got to put a stop to this. So starting right now, I'm going to enact a new law that any um, citizen of the country of Turkey who's even caught talking to a Russian um, person, a Russian citizen, is going to get 40 lashes with the whip. So... A few days later, his men come to him, and they're like, Shemal, and, oh, um, we found the traitor, we found the person. And he said, good, bring him in. And they brought the person in, and it was his mom. And he's like, whoa, this hits close to home. I need a few days to think about this. So he said, told his men, he's like, I don't want to make an emotional decision. I need some days to think about this. So he goes up into the hills, and he spends some time alone. And in a few days, he comes back, and he, he tells his main leaders, he said bring my mom, bring her into our conference room. I made my decision. And so they bring his mom in. He walks up to her, and he gives her a hug. And he says, Mom, you know I've always loved you, and you've been a good mom, and I love you as a son, but as the leader of my country's military, I have to do justice. And what you've done is you've committed treason, and that's very serious. So then he took off his shirt. And he told his men to give him the lashes instead. So he took his mom's penalty. Um, so I just think it's really helpful just to look at the um, look at the cross from different directions. I love listening to worship music that talks about the cross. But a good prayer is just, God, help me, help help the gospel be fresh. Um, don't let me ever have the gospel slip from the forefront of my memory because the gospel more than anything the cross shows us God's love for us and it's also very humbling it shows us our insufficiency um, so what I want to do I want to look at one more passage in John three sixteen, but I want to show you guys something really cool in this and then I want to give you a practical application um, for how to bring the gospel to bear on your everyday life most of you guys are familiar with John 16 or you've seen it at an NFL game by a crazy person with his face painted, um, or you've memorized it, most of you, but um, I want to I wanna read it to you. And what's really Hutas is an adverb, but it doesn't always translate real smoothly in English, so a lot of times that phrase is just left out, but the word Hutas means in this manner or in this way. And so John 3.16 Literally says, for in this way, or this is how God loved the world, that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So I'll read it again. For in this way, or this is how God loved the world. It's very emphatic. Look it. This is how, for in this way, God loved the world, that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Oh. So for me, it's, it's really easy for the gospel to slip away from the forefront of my mind. And I just get caught up with the busyness of life. But I read a book years ago called The Cross-Centered Life. It's just a little book by C.J. Mahaney. And it like transformed my thinking more than any book I've ever read. Um, and in this book, he talked about preaching the gospel to yourself. One of his friends calls it, I've got to take my gospel pill every day. And so what that looks like is you take a verse, you choose a verse that um, is a concise summary of the gospel, and you just you memorize it or just put it on a piece of paper, put it on your mirror for in the morning when you brush your teeth or put it on your makeup, and just every morning you give yourself that gospel pill to keep the gospel fresh. Um, so one of my favorite ones is Romans 5.8. Um, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. So I like that because it reminds me that God demonstrated something, He showed me something, and He showed me His love because I needed to be reminded of His love. But it also reminds me that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. So it reminds me to look at the cross um, and not try to do sanctification, not try to live out my Christian life by works. Because we all know we're saved by grace, we're saved by the cross, but a lot of times I think we can... um, fall into a works-based way of living our Christian life. And so one other one that I really like is 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him, that is in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Um, And the next thing that um, God's really used over the years is finding a tent of meeting. Um, In Exodus 33, there's a story, and it says, Moses pitched a tent, and he pitched it outside the camp. God is actually unhappy with the people because they kept grumbling and disbelieving him, and he pitched a tent outside the camp, and it says anyone who wanted to go be with God, they could go out to that tent of meeting, and they could spend time. And Moses would go out there, and his face would just shine. His face would just shine when he was done. I um, mean, I heard a story about Sarah Edwards, um, the wife of the of many children. But she would go in her room and come out in the morning, and her daughter said that her face just shined. She said her face just shined. And so I, I found that it's good. It's been helpful for me just to find my, to find my own tent of meeting. Um, so I just have a little spot in my basement that I made not too long ago. Um, and I, it's just healing. I love going there and just... Being in God's presence, and I know it can sound it can sound like idealistic, especially if you have a lot of kids or you're you're a mother with a lot of young kids. But one of my favorite stories is about Susanna Wesley. Um, so Susanna Wesley was the mother of John Wesley, who was a great evangelist. He was instrumental um, in the Second Great Awakening, and she was also the mother of Charles Wesley, a great hymn writer. A lot of our hymns are. Hymns are from him. But she had 19 kids. She had 19 kids. And nine of them, nine of them died while they were still young or in childbirth. So she lost nine kids, but she raised ten kids. And her husband was kind of unreliable. He would take off for um, periods of time, and he kind of had a hot temper. The neighbors didn't like him very much. So imagine yourself being a mom, raising ten kids with an unreliable husband. Um and you had the grief of losing nine kids. I don't know how I would go on if I lost one of my kids. Um, but she, there's this famous story about her um, from her kids. She would be sitting at the dining room table each day, and she made a practice of doing this every day, and she would pull her apron over her head, and she would just put her head down on the table, and she'd go like that. And her kids knew, like, that's mom's time with God. Like, you don't, you don't bug mommy why she's doing that. Just give mom her time, but that made a big impact um, on her kids. And John Wesley, I think, is one of the greatest um, Christians, greatest evangelists and preachers who's ever lived. But I think that came a lot a lot from his mom. And she would actually take time intentionally to instruct each child each day, um, one-on-one. So that, that challenges me, that story. Another thing um, that's really helped me is just learning to pray the Bible. Learning to pray the Bible, because... I'm kind of ADD when I pray. And I just really think um, Satan doesn't like us to pray. I sit down, I try to pray for a few minutes. All of a sudden, I think about, oh, my wife said, told me to do this. Like, and normally that hadn't even been on my radar for like several days. Um, but there's just a lot of distractions with um, trying to pray. And so, what's really helped me is like take the Lord's Prayer. And then Paul has four really cool prayers. He has more than that. He has some in Thessalonians, first or second Thessalonians. But he has four really cool prayers. He has two in Ephesians. He has one that starts with in Colossians one nine, and he has another one that starts in Philippians one nine. Um, but what I did is I memorized that prayer in Philippians, and Colossians um, when I was younger, and then I would just use those prayers like to guide my prayer life. I'd say them in my own words, but um, Philippians nine is, I pray that your love my more, abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment. I'm like, God, please help me love my wife more. Help me love my kids. Um, in Colossians one nine it starts, I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That means understanding and wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives. So, I'll pray consistently, God, just give me that spiritual wisdom and understanding. I don't have that myself. I don't know how to lead my family. I don't like, I, I need help, God, with life. Give me that spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then the Lord's prayers really helped me because it just reminds me to f- focus on God first. Like, God, hollow your name in my heart. Um, may you become famous in my heart and become famous in my kids and in my wife's life. So that's my prayer, consistent prayer. I just literally just pray the first verse or two of the Lord's prayer over and over. But, God, just hollow yourself in my heart. But praying the Bible is really helpful. Um, And another thing that's helped me is just, um, I call it eating and breathing each day. So breathing would be prayer. We have to breathe. The Bible says pray in all circumstances in Romans 12. And 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says um, pray without ceasing. I don't think that means we never stop praying, but what I think that means is everything we're stressed about, um, every trial we encounter in life everything we're like man i don't know how to do this like i don't know how to approach this with my um child or with my work um everything we get stressed about and start trying to like lean on our own understanding i think what it means is like pray about everything so something that helps me is like everything i'd be stressed about everything i can't do on my own or everything i'm happy about because the bible says give thanks in all circumstance turn that into a prayer and i mean i'm not as good at it as i should be so i'm not sharing these things like I've arrived, but it's really, it's really helped me just to like pray throughout the day. Um, Shane Eidelman, who's a pastor in California, he's influenced me big time. He's big on prayer. He gets up in the morning, he, he schedules his whole day around prayer, and he's a super busy guy. But he says, prayer isn't easy, it's essential. Prayer isn't easy, it's essential. And that's something I've got to remind myself of Every day. Because I notice a difference when I pray. I even have like. I'm even more efficient and creative. And um, just have better ideas. And more productive at work. In what would be non- non-Christian non work. It's like God just like sharpens my mind. When I pray. But I really just think it's my own. Um, lack of humility. And my own lack of trust in God. Um, that keeps me from doing that a lot of times. A lot of times I just have to come to the end of my rope. Psalm 41 says. As for me. I am poor and needy. As for me, I am poor and needy. And another psalm says, Lead me to the rock that is higher than me. So I just like reminded myself, Okay, God, I'm poor and needy. Like, I need you. I need to breathe today. So that would be my encouragement to you. Just breathe each day. Breathe throughout the day. Um, Daniel, it says in Daniel chapter 6 that Daniel prayed three times a day. That Daniel prayed three times a day in command in the most powerful country. Um in the world in babylon so that'd be like our vice president being intentional say okay i gotta go pray i gotta pray it's it's after lunch or it's in the evening and just going to pray um so i sometimes i think i'm busy but i'm like if daniel can do it the vice president of babylon i can find time to pray so i just encourage you guys to find time to pray and then the other thing which you guys know is is just meditate on the bible read the bible so for a long time I would just read the Bible, but I didn't meditate on it. Then I started realizing that a lot of the older Christians, like the Puritans and the people who would written um, just really intimate books and really deep and profound books about God, um, they had this practice that they called meditating. Um, and Psalm 1-2 says the righteous man meditates on God's word day and night. And meditation is different than reading. Meditation means you take a phrase or a verse and you just chew on it and you're like, Martin Luther said, God, like, help me understand this. He said, I wrestle with, um, Two, it literally says, it was, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. It literally says, um, the righteous man mutters to himself your word day and night. So picture someone just walking around, like, under their breath, like, the Lord is my light and my salvation. I shall not fear. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Just, like, constantly um, talking about the word. But those two things have helped me just to write, write some scripture on a note card, and then everything I'm stressed about or need help with throughout the day, just stop and pray. Um, follow Daniel's practice and pray throughout the day. And another thing that's, um, that's really helped me, I wish I would have known it earlier in my Christian life, um, but it's listening prayer. Listening prayer. So I, I used to get bored sometimes um, praying because I would pray all my needs. And I'd be like, okay, it's only three minutes. I was trying to pray ten minutes. But I got done with that. But then I'm like, wait. Like, if you want to have a good relationship with someone, you need to spend some time listening to them too. You need to spend some time listening. I talk too much. My wife would be like, Grant, are you going to let me talk? <laughs> so it doesn't work in our human relationships but um, I was reading an article about this lady. She read all these biographies and she wrote down they're all different personalities, all different um, circumstances in history, male, female. She looked at all these mature Christians and she wrote down, she wrote this article about what were the common practices of these mature Christian men and women, even though they came from different times in history and different backgrounds and personalities. And one of them was that they spent as much time or more time. Listening in prayer than talking to God. And so I'll give you guys an example of um, a time that listening prayer was really helpful to me. Um, a few days before I was going to get married, I was out running on some country roads, jogging, and I was like, man, okay, I'm going to be married now, so if I get injured, um, if I get injured, then who's going to provide for my wife? And I was like, I need to be a better spiritual leader, so I should probably come up with a more consistent like devotional time plan. I need devotional plan time. Like all these things and I was just like tying myself in knots. Finally like I'm like, God, I'm just getting stressed out. And so like what do you want to say something? <laughs> this isn't getting me anywhere. And he said, Grant, I love you. I was like, oh yeah, that's nice. But what do you want me to do? And he said, No, Grant, I love you. I was like, oh yeah, that's true. It says that in the Bible that you do love us, but but what do you want me to do, God? And he said, "No, Grant, I love you," and then that just like melted me down. And then he said, um, "Grant, have I taken?" And I got married in my um, later twenties. So, but he asked me this question: "said Grant, um, have I taken care of you? Um, have I taken care of you in your single life?" And all of a sudden, these memories came back of when I changed my major from physical therapy to biblical studies. I think doing my undergrad, and moved to cities, and like he just brought back all these memories of him providing financially for me, and just all these ways. He says Grant, "Have I, um, have I taken care of you?" And I said, "Yes, God." He said, "Do you think I've taken care of Jen? Do you think I love your fiance? Think I've taken care of her throughout her life?" And I was like, "Yes, God. I think you probably have." He's like, "Do you think I'm big enough to take care of both of you together?" When you're married, I was like, Yeah, you created the world. I think you can do that. (laughs) And he says, Do you think if you had a few kids, do you think I I can take care of you and a few kids financially as well? Um, And I was like, Yeah. And I just had this peace from listening, um, from listening to God. And God doesn't need to speak. You hear a lot of times people say, Oh, well, you can't hear God, can you? But God created our eardrum. And depending on what language we speak, if I speak Mandarin, I just hear. Um, verbal language in Mandarin and it goes into my ear and I process it in my brain and then I get the message or if I speak his holy spirit. but God is God he can bypass our eardrum he just can lay impressions through his holy spirit because all his children have his holy spirit he can lay impressions right on our mind so I just really encourage you guys to do that we, um, this, this summer we had a um, camping trip and we do devotionals on um, Friday through Sunday, we did a camping trip for the youth group. And we had a young girl there, and I talked about listening prayer. And then the last on Friday, I talked about this, the last day, a camping trip on Sunday, we do a service in the morning, and we talked about our favorite thing, camping, and the most impactful um, spiritual thing we learned. And we go around, and this young girl said, like, I never knew that like we could listen to God and that He'll talk to us. She's like, during our free time on Saturday, I was walking around praying with God I just went alone and it's like so cool it just makes me enjoy my relationship so much more so much more with God like it just transformed how I think about God um and the next the next thing that I've learned that really helps has helped me in my Christian walk which just isn't a very fun thing but if I could go back I wouldn't change anything the next thing that God uses in his children's lives are desert seasons. Desert seasons. I just define a desert season is a hard season of life where things don't go the way that we would like them to or the way that we would expect them to. Um, and as I meditated on Scripture, I realized that a lot of the people that God really has used, he had to break them down first. So David... He was anointed when he was a teenager, but then he was on the run for his life from Saul. He lived in caves and on on the run. And Joseph lived in a. Um, Joseph was pure. He's like no to Potiphar's wife, and he got thrown in prison for three years. So sometimes I think about him, like the day before he got out of prison, what he was thinking. He's like, man, I walked righteously, um, and all I get for walking righteously. get the Bible. It's like, it's like a theme throughout the Bible that God brings His children. Through desert seasons, um, A.W. Tozer says God will seldom greatly use someone until He first breaks them, till He greatly bruises them. Actually, is what He says. So it seems to be, it seems to be a um, pattern throughout the Bible that God um, disciplines us and just brings us through hard things to wean our. There's a lot of. There's like 13 or 14 different reasons given in the New Testament for why we go through sufferings. But um, one thing is that it teaches us to trust in God alone um, and not to hope for temporary things in the world. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So God will often wean our hearts off of things in the world through um, different sufferings. And another reason he does it is it will move us to prayer a lot. I love to read the Bible, but I'm not as good at prayer. And a lot of times when I'm suffering or going through evil, level. Um, so I'm just going to give you guys some examples of some different things that God will do or allow in his children's life. One is God might withhold or delay the provision of a spouse. Another one is having to endure some form of illness or pain and not knowing when it will go away. Not getting children when we want them, or at all. There's lots of these examples in the Bible. Um, Hannah, for example, before she just prayed and God gave her a child. um, An unsatisfying job, or God delaying a job promotion, or someone else getting it. Conflict in our family. Financial difficulties or stability. Children who aren't turning out as we had hoped, or not behaving as we would wish. Life not turning out as we had hoped in one way or another. The loss of a loved one. A serious health problem with the years is one. And the list goes on. And it's, it's very short. It goes, I walked a mile with pleasure and she chattered all the way but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. Um, I walked a mile with sorrow and narrow words had said, said she but oh the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. So God, God does have good purposes in our lives. Um, and Romans eight twenty eight says that he's, he works out all things for our good. Um, my time's limited, but I'll give you guys one more thing that's helped me. Um, thanks, Thanksgiving has um, really helped me. Um, it's hard for the soil of discontentment to grow in our hearts if we're giving thanks. It's like Thanksgiving just kind of roots out the discontentment that we have. And I think it's, it's just easy to start thinking about what we don't have, which is kind of insane because I spent a month in India, which is the second largest country in the world, and um, sometime in China. They outside their houses just hungry. And yet we see these things on TV or in magazines, and we want them or we want to have what the celebrity has. And so Satan can really get a foothold in our culture with discontentment. Um, but a really good way to combat this, I found, is thanksgiving. Um, sometimes I'll do this at family devotions, but I'm not very consistent. And so my daughter, Brielle, my four-year-old daughter now, every night she'll be like, we've got to say what we're thankful for. And if we forget, she's like, got to say what we're thankful for. And so now she just leads that time. Every night she's like, Mama, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for, Zion? And what are you thankful for, Daddy? And we just go through that. But a practice that helps me when I start getting a bad attitude or worrying about something down the road is just to stop and think of five things I'm thankful for real quick and just um, say those I do it when I'm driving a lot. But literally, it only takes 30 seconds. So I could say, I'm thankful that I have um, warm clothes in the winter. I'm thankful for a wife who's a um, wise parent. Like I'm thankful for parents like, that taught me how to live for him and did family devotions, like thankful for food and a house with, with heat. It's very simple, but I found it just really um, rips out a bad attitude. And sometimes, normally the best time to do it is when I least feel like doing it. It's just giving thanks when I feel like doing it. Um, and then I have a few um, results. A few results of um, falling more in love with God. So I'll just, I'll just hit um, two of them real quick. Summarize. Evangelism, we talk about what we're excited about. So um, if we're excited about the Packers, we talk about it, which is fine. But shouldn't we be that much more excited about God? Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, so I used to read books on evangelism. I still do some. I'd be like, I've got to get all the um, right things to say. And I've got to read books about apologetics in case someone asked about evolution or this or that. Um, but now I'm seeing the best thing I can do for evangelism is actually just get in my test of meeting or just spend some time with God and just really um, see God because God's the sum of all perfections. God is beautiful. If we look at God, we're going to fall in love with Him. You can't not fall in love with God if you spend time with Him. So I found the best way to be better at evangelism is just spend time with God till I get excited about Him. And then it just flows out. And another, another benefit is service. Is service. Um, we naturally serve others. Nick Thornton was telling me a story about when him and Emily were in Turkey. Um, there was a student there. He was an 18-year-old student. And he would wear all black. And he would like never smile. Um, and there was a church that Nick and Emily went to in Turkey. And he started going. And he said he had tried all all different um, religions, and he grew up Muslim, um, and he got saved, and he's like, I always knew that if God, if um, that the real God had to be a God of love, and he just had this joy. I think he said he had a lot of joy right away. Is that right? Um, but he came to Nick and went, I understand the country. I'm going to go there, and Nick's like, Whoa, I don't think that's a good idea. And he's like, No, you don't understand. You don't understand. I like organized. I got a group of people, and we're going to set up a first aid stand there. So that's a good example, I think, how, like, God's love. We love because God first loved us, and then we love out of the overflow of the heart, and we do service. And the last thing um, is our children. I really feel like um, it's good to read parenting books, um, but I'm really seeing more and more, Howard Hendricks says, more is caught than taught. I'm really realizing that the best way to impact people and impact my children is... um, through loving God myself, I need to talk, teach them about God. And I try to do that through family devotions and throughout the day, like Deuteronomy 6 says. But I really think the best thing is loving God ourselves, because kids are really good at telling if something is real. I used to work with juvenile delinquents, and they can sniff out a fake right away. But um, our children, and even our coworkers, and those around us, but especially our children, I think will follow God, there's a better chance if they see us loving and enjoying God. I read tons of Christian biographies, and a lot of my heroes, I've seen this pattern in their life that they were deeply impacted by one of their parents. Sometimes it was their mother um, who really impacted them, and sometimes it was their father. So John G. Patton, he was a missionary to the cannibals, and he's like one of my heroes. So I just want to close on this story um, about him. And his father, he had a closet in a small room in his house um, where he made a practice. He wouldn't do it every time, but he made a practice that after his um, meals, he would go in this little um, closet in this room and all 11 of his children, he had 11 children, including John Patton, um, they knew that he did this in this spot and they just reverenced it. But then his time with God in that closet overflowed into their family devotion time. So I'm just going to read in John Patton's own words what he said. He said, "Though everything else in religion, by some unthinkable catastrophe, swept out of memory, were swept out of memory, were blotted from my understanding, my soul would wander back to those early scenes and shut itself up once again in that sanctuary closet. And hearing still the echoes of those cries to God, would hurl back all doubt with the victorious appeal." He walked with God. Why can't I? So what he's saying is if like all his previous Christian knowledge was blotted out, um, what his dad would still like what his dad did would still overwhelm that. And he goes on. He says, How much my father's prayers at this time impressed me, I can never explain, nor could any stranger understand. When on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, He poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Jesus. And for every personal and domestic need, we all felt as if in the presence of the living Savior. So he said he prayed for the heathen world and for every personal and domestic need. We all felt as if in the presence of the living Savior and learned to know and love Jesus as our divine friend. Let me pray. Dear Father, God, just thank you that your mercies are new every morning, and you pursue us, and thank you that you revealed yourself to us perfectly in Jesus Christ, that we have a visible, tangible picture of you, God. Um, We just love you, and I pray that we'd be intentional. It's very hard in our society. It's always hard um, with the distractions we have in our flesh, and the world, and Satan, God, but it's really hard in our society so i pray that we just be intentional um this week and that we'd spend time with you knowing that in your presence there is fullness of joy and also knowing that what what's in our heart if we love you with all our heart soul mind and strength god it's gonna it's gonna overwhelm into other people's lives around us our children and co-workers and family members god so i pray that we would go um to our tent of meeting wherever that is even if it's in our car God, are at the kitchen table and that we would spend time with you. Um, And thank you for creating a way back to the Holy of Holies, God, just through the cross. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.